Hey. So, my curiosity question for you is, how are you separating yourself from the rest of the pack? Alright, let me ask you this again. How are you separating yourself from the rest of the pack? Okay, let me set the tone. So, you're in great shape, and you decide that you want to become a personal trainer. That's awesome! Do the work you love, right? And never work another day in your life. Not so much. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but to make it as a personal trainer, it's tough. I mean, the median annual wage for personal trainers is $39,210, and the lowest 10% earned is less than $19,640, and the highest 10% earn about $74,520, or $74,520. But the point of it is, is that personal trainers, they do have the capability to make good money and live a life that is fulfilling and that's why it's such an attractive field to work in you can literally transform people's lives and if you're someone who is willing to give the middle finger to those numbers that I announced earlier and just scratch your own personal training itch then this episode is for you because today I have on Eric Helms he's not only making a living as a online fitness physique coach, but he's been a personal trainer and he's going to lay out for us how he did that and how he made the transition. And we're going to talk about many other things that I'm super excited to dive into. But if you're wondering who Eric Helms is, well, uh, you've been missing out, first of all. Second of all, he is a coach, an athlete, an author, an educator. He's been a trainer since early 2000s. He's worked in the U.S. Air Force, commercial gyms, private training studios, medical fitness, and strength and conditioning facilities. As a part-time, as a part of 3DMJ, he coaches drug-free strength and physique competitors at all levels. He earned his pro status as a natural bodybuilder with the PNBA in 2011 and competes with the IPF at international level events as an unequipped powerlifter. But that only scratches the surface of who Eric really is. So, without further ado, give a huge warm welcome to the one and only Eric Helms. Thanks for having me, Logan. I appreciate that that unnecessarily gracious introduction, but I will definitely take it. <laughs> yeah, well, I uh, you deserve it. Um, I can tell already you're a very humble man, uh, but uh, anybody that's listening to this, uh, please go check out 3DMJ Podcast. Um, first listen to this, of course, please do. And <laughs> uh, check out that podcast and check out, he is a plethora. If you just type in Google, Eric Helms, the man will come up. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Um so, Eric, I'd love to start off with, you know, to me, I think that uh, a lot of us end up using our, our greatest weaknesses, and somehow we can turn them into our greatest strengths. So, 
like for you, I want to ask you with that that beginning question of of like, how did you get into personal training, or how did you get into working out overall and and turning a potential one of your greatest weaknesses into your greatest strengths? That's a good question. I I, I would agree with you that most character traits can be very much a double-edged sword. Um, for example, uh, the obsessive nature that makes most bodybuilders good at bodybuilding can also lead them towards having bodybuilding ruin their life. Um, and I'm no different in that, in that respect. You know, when I first started lifting weights in 2004, it very much became a, I would actually say at the time, a detrimental obsession to my life. Um, and it wasn't until I got a better handle on balancing my life with my, um, focus on, on bodybuilding and lifting weights that it became something that really kind of catapulted my career forward and made me not only successful in the business side of, of fitness, but also, um, happier and feel like I was making a difference in the world. Um, and in general, making me probably a, a better person. Um, I think, and this is something we tell our athletes all the time at 3DMJ, that bodybuilding should, should be something that enhances your life. Uh, and if you really track it all the way back to, you know, the very first, uh, you know, proto-bodybuilding athletes out there in the 1900s and in the early physique contest, there was always these components of the score and the way you were judged and kind of the ethos of that culture um, that bodybuilding was about uh, something greater than just looking good. It was about having functional performance, about being an example to other people, and about fulfilling your own capacity. Um, and as soon as you look up one day and you realize that bodybuilding is detracting from the rest of your life, that's when you really kind of have to rethink things. And that was what my early experiences with bodybuilding were. My first season wasn't very good uh, in, in that regard. Um, and in many ways, I was not a very good personal trainer at first. I think uh, if you've ever heard the saying, uh, to the man with a hammer, the world looks like a nail. I was very much treating all of my clients as though they had the same goals as me. And everyone was either doing some form of powerlifting or bodybuilding training. Uh, the nutrition plans were probably overly obsessive. Uh, even when they weren't that restrictive, I was asking people straight off the street, hey, track your macronutrients, you know, just get a food scale, weigh every meal you eat, don't go out to eat, and then report to me back what your protein, carbs, and fat were. And then when, of course, they, they couldn't do that for a lack of education, experience, and not having a clear goal or not even having the same goal as me because I didn't do the, the footwork on kind of like the motivational interviewing side of being a coach. Um, I would blame it, blame it on them. So some of these, I would say early failures, if you will, or, uh, having kind of the rug pulled out from underneath me and realizing that I really didn't know as much as I, I thought I knew, uh, helped me craft a new approach to life where I was being a lot more open-minded, a little more humility and trying to take a more objective look and compassionate look to uh, myself and my clients. Oh, wow. Uh, that's a lot. Um, I, I love how you're able to speak out about how you kind of failed and you failed hard at first as a personal trainer. And I, and I, um, I think that's probably right now the biggest 
problem with most people that do start out at personal training is they go, oh, everyone just wants to get ripped and be in great shape, right? <laughs> like, you know, and, and and that may not be the case for everybody. Uh, some people just want to feel good again. And, and like you said, I think a great piece is, is to be able to really uh, interview and, and listen to your clients when they give you an assessment, um, which now I, I've got to ask, I'd be kicking myself in the rear end if I didn't ask, like, how has actually running 3DMJ and, and being an interviewer or being interviewed on the other side kind of translated to becoming a better coach when you are working with a client? That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're right in that a lot of trainers kind of assume the the goal of, of clients is, is similar to theirs or is kind of one of these stock standard, you know, I want to look good naked. And the reality is, is that most people come to you in a state of being a little lost. Um, they're rarely in that stage of motivation where they know exactly what they want. They've done the research. They're ready to take action. And they figured it would just be better to have a trainer guide them. Um, most of the time, they're in one of those earlier stages of motiv- motivation where they're contemplating and planning. Um, and they're still trying to figure things out. So it's very easy for your biases to get transferred onto that client um, just by making assumptions and not even necessarily asking questions at all about what their goals are. You know, if they're, they're overweight and they don't feel good, uh, maybe you assume they need to be doing hypertrophy training and fat loss when in reality, maybe they just need to have some kind of structure to their diet and they need to adopt some type of, of fun activity in their lifestyle. It could be as simple as, you know, just having regular meal times, consuming more fruits and vegetables and playing an intramural softball league. Maybe they don't need to be, you know, training, you know, full body three days a week with, with, with resistance training, even if that might be, you know, quote unquote optimal for their quote unquote objective view of the goals. Um, I think, uh, so how that's translated into 3D muscle journey has been that uh, we have a pretty extensive uh, application form initially, and we typically start most of our client interactions, uh, our first time touching base with a client is a Skype. And when we're doing our job right, um, we're asking a lot more questions and th- then, you know, they're talking more than we are. We're not filling the air with, uh, you know, how many grams of per kg of protein they should be eating and all that stuff that, that may come up. But we're spending a lot of time listening um, because we get a much better sense of their background, uh, where they want to go. And even that's even true when we're talking about our clientele at 3D Muscle Journey, which is a small subset of people who explicitly have found us because they are interested in either uh, physique or performance related to strength type of goals. So even in that narrow niche that we deal with, there still is a lot of listening and it's still incredibly important uh, to really get a feel for where someone is at and what they're bringing to the table uh, before you just kind of make an assumption about who they are. So I'm, I'm just really curious, what's the, what's the main prerequisite you think someone should have when they come to you and they go, okay, I want to do... I want to do a contest in in six months, and I want to do it because I want to I want to record this journey of what it's like to go from you know just average looking to being on the stage, and then maybe set myself up for uh, personal training or fitness physique athlete career kind of like yourself. Uh, um, I hope that question makes sense. Sure, and and I think that's not uncommon. 
you know, a lot of people will think of, you know, if I can get the credibility of competing uh, and, and the body that comes with that, um, and then I can kind of look like I, I walk the talk and that can translate into a, a career. Um, that's both correct in some ways and incorrect in others, in my opinion. Like, I think it's sometimes people underestimate the value of, of getting on stage um, or, or sorry, they overestimate the value and they underestimate the difficulty of doing it properly. And an external reward is typically not adequate in and of itself to motivate someone through the process of being successful in a contest prep. And by successful, I mean getting into the best shape they can within the context of that season. Um, we physique athletes are an odd folk. Uh, and, and most of the time, those of us who stick with the sport in the long term, it's not even because we are trying to see these changes occur in our body. We are, we enjoy the sport for the sport's sake. We want to get on stage and compete. Uh, we're interested in the, the feel of competition, the process and the, the feel of being in the gym. And if you're, primarily focused on the outcome and what that can get you in your career, it's not going to go well, or maybe you're only going to compete once. But for those people who stick with it in the long run, there tends to be a lot more uh, process oriented love for, for the, for the sport itself, if you will. Uh, and much more of a long-term interest in it and much more internal reward. Like most people haven't heard of the top level, you know, natural bodybuilders and a lot of the, even the top level, um, uh, non-natural bodybuilders, if you will, who are on the cover of magazines and very frequently on supplement ads, they get a lot of external offers to do uh, promotional work, you know, like uh, a supplement company or muscular development magazine or a website, et cetera. But you'll notice that they don't do very much self-promotion except in a few isolated cases. So you can tell that despite the just the fact that they get their names out there or their physiques out there just because of how you know, freakishly impressive they are. Um, that's not their primary motivation. And a lot of the times they just do that to pay the bills so they can keep competing because at their core, they're bodybuilders and, that, and that's what they love. So if someone comes to me and they, they want to kind of use competitive uh, physique sport as an avenue to their career, first I'd say, you know, why don't we just get you in good shape and maybe do a photo shoot that you can use promote for promotional images on your own time not expose you to, you know, numerical judgments about your appearance from, from seven strangers and have you compared against others. Um, take a less extreme approach, not have a specific date as a deadline. Um, and then figure out what's maintainable for you long run and develop some good habits because, you know, bodybuilding is as much as it's not supposed to be a crash diet. And if you're doing it right, it needs to be very moderate and thought out and it needs to be, uh, not so aggressive. You can't maintain performance in the gym. It does require you to get to levels of, of body fat that are not useful outside of being on the stage. They're, they're not healthy. They're not good for performance. Um, they're not something to aspire to. Uh, and they almost necessitate a certain level of food focus and disordered eating that once you get down to, you know, single digit body fat, um, for, for men and, you know, around eight to 10% body fat for women, which is required to be on stage in good shape. Uh, that's, that's not a place anybody's body really wants to be biologically. Uh, and there's an intense drive to consume food or regain weight and bodybuilders struggle a lot 
uh, post-competition for that reason. So that's not something I, I would recommend to someone to, to do because that isn't something, that's not a message you want to be giving to your clients that they should be aspiring to. You know, you want to maintain an athletic physique and, uh, you know, have good nutritional habits that, that help you maintain that along with good training habits. Awesome. You want to get some one-time photo shoots done uh, that, that'll get you some, some more exposure? Sure. Um, but I wouldn't recommend the stage as a vehicle for a career for most people. I really love how you point that out, how important it is to, to not really, st- st- uh, I guess, skip steps in a way. Um, you don't need to. Uh, you don't need to go out there and, and, and believe that um, a bodybuilding uh, contest, unless someone really wants to, uh, is the only way to do it. So thank you for pointing that out. And I think, you know, what you guys do, though, um, what I see you do as far as, like, the content that you put out is um, there's, there's a lot of people that's looking for the best way or the best program, or the best diet. Um, when people ask you, you know, like, hey, I'm looking for the best program, uh, what's, a, what's a, like a, a program that you think is good for people that are just trying to gain some freaking muscle um, and feel healthy? Um, and let's say they, they got a lot of time. I think a lot of people work out because they just want to, like, eat up time during the day um let's mm. face it you know so w- what kind of uh program do you usually um i guess put them on yeah i mean the, the question of, of what's the best program is often not the well <laughs> it's not right in the context it's asked um, because there of course is no best program that it could be applied to any random person off the street or there would be no personal trainers We wouldn't be necessary. Uh, you could just go to bestprogram.com and every time everyone tried that program They all found they got the best results. And Should we check and see if that domain's taken? <laughs> it probably is. I guarantee you in fact it is <laughs> nice. um, And it's probably very expensive if you want to get it if it's yeah. not already a thing, but uh, exactly like we know there isn't a one universal best fit program. Um, and you can, you can ask 20 different bodybuilders and there will be similarities between what they do, but it won't be the same. Uh, it'll all be customized to their individual needs and preferences. Um, so the only time, what is the best, uh, program is an appropriate question to ask is in the context of for you. And that's important because that means what will you keep doing for a lifetime? Because when people are coming to a personal trainer and they're looking to make fitness a part of their lives, whether they realize it or not, that is a open-ended goal that shouldn't end. If they want to maintain their fitness and their health uh, and the beneficial mental components that come from being healthier physically, that's something that they're going to do as long as they are physically capable. Uh, now, they don't quite get that often at first because that's, that's a hard thing to conceptualize. You know, Not only am I going to totally change my lifestyle – but I'm going to maintain that changed lifestyle to a point 40 years from now or, or more or less, depending on how old the client is. Um, that's something wholly outside of their experience. So I don't expect them to have that kind of long-term view. If they did, they'd already be training for the most part. Um, rather, it's, it's important to help them realize that they're not just going to be trying to train for the next six weeks. You know, This isn't going to be a crash diet or a crash tra- training program. Um, we're looking for a long-term lifestyle change. So the question of what's optimal always has to be slaved to what's realistic. 
So that means that you can focus more on what is optimal when you have someone who has, I would not, I don't want to say willpower, because it's not really about that, but a different level of commitment or a different goal. So for example, if a bodybuilder comes to me and I tell them, hey, you know, if you just did, well, let's say an aspiring bodybuilder. If I told them, hey, if you just did one set per muscle group per week and you just did one full body training session, since you've never lifted weights before, you would actually make great gains. Um, and they went, okay, that's nice, but I want to make the best gains possible. I say, okay, well, we can go all the way up to 10 sets per body part per, per week and train four days per week on an upper lower split, and you'll make about 50% more gains. Now, a mathematician might go, hold on, I'm increasing the volume, I'm doing tenfold, but I'm only getting 50% greater gains. That doesn't seem like a very efficient use of my time. And maybe that's that's the perspective that many of your clients will have as a personal trainer. It's like they, they want to get good, noticeable results, but they don't want to spend time uh, on, on diminished returns. You know, they don't want to add, they don't want to go from five sets per muscle group to 10 to only get an additional 10 or 20% gains that they probably won't even notice. That's not worth it because that's not their primary goal. But for a bodybuilder, they're willing to do probably more than they should, even for a 1% gain in many cases. So again, w- the point is, is that what is optimal is almost never the right question. The question is how much time do you have to dedicate? What's appropriate for your current training age? Um, what do you enjoy? What will get you motivated to go to the gym every day? And, and really in the end, what can you sustain long term? Um, and to get the best return on your investments, you might care about the absolute return on investment like a bodybuilder or the relative return on investment for the amount of time you invest. So if I was to have someone come to me and they're you know, a busy single parent who works full time and they have two hours a week to train, you better believe that might be circuit training with one set to failure on mostly machines um, twice per week. But if a bodybuilder comes to me and says, hey, just tell me whatever, I'll do it, it's going to look very different. That's just an example. And if the bodybuilder did come up to you, what would that look like? Or would it just be another, it depends? Well, it, it, it does depend, but it depends on less. You know, if a bodybuilder comes to me, I can I can narrow things down to saying, all right, how many days a week can you get in the gym? Uh, how long have you been training? What are you currently doing as far as your volume? And then we know certain things are probably going to be in place, you know, 90% of the time. We're probably going to be training each muscle group at least twice per week. We're probably going to be getting at least 10 sets per muscle group per week. Uh, you know, we're probably going to be making sure that our, our rest intervals are complete enough to not hinder performance. Um, and we're probably going to be training across a spectrum of rep ranges and including some form of progressive overload, either adding reps, sets, or load over time, and including some type of cyclical recovery period, uh, often called a deload. Uh, And those are just principles of training based on the best scientific data we have today um, that, you know, would would be different for different goals. But um, that's really just where the first broad brush strokes start. After that, everything has to be based on how well it worked and seeing you know, how long did that plan survive contact with the real world, which is often, you know, very short lived before you're making an adjustment. Yeah. So the one thing that, um, really, I guess, uh, pains me though, about, uh, the fitness industry. And I think, uh, you might relate with this is, is we have, and this is a topic that I have to bring up because it, directly correlates to how you will stand out as a personal trainer and online trainers is information is not the problem right i think it's the 
the app application and, and a lot of people know what to do but why is it that people aren't doing it so like the person might need they might know exactly now what program to actually do but are they going to abide by that is is a completely different subject so what sort of like psychological behaviors have you seen with your own clients where you realize okay they know what they're do they need to do but they still won't do it um how do you get someone to kind of do something that they uh are, are fighting against because they just don't believe in the process yeah there, there's a few good 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 comments in there for one you're you're right uh typically a lack of information is not the problem um most people when they are in those earlier stages of motivation uh, and they want to, they're considering doing something about it, they're first going to go online and start looking up information. Initially, they're going to get drawn to quick fixes because they're not quite committed to the idea of making a change. So they want to see in what ways can they get the outcome they want without making a significant change to their lives. That's why the supplement industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's why things like the shake weight or all of these marketing gimmicks that are based around, you know, get X outcome in X number of minutes per week. Uh, they're, they're basically capitalizing on the fact that, that a lot of people are unhappy but aren't quite yet at that stage of change where they're ready to commit to a full lifestyle change. They want to know how they can just find one quick trick that will you know, change your, your fitness and, you know, trainers hate him kind of marketing really speaks to the, 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 these people and these people aren't going to go away and I'm not going to berate them. I think it's a natural stage of, um, of, of, of learning before you get to the point where you're ready to do more. Invariably though, uh, these people get disappointed. You know, the supplement doesn't work. Spending five minutes a week on a vibrating board doesn't fix the fact that they're 60 pounds overweight, et cetera, et cetera. And then they're willing to commit to something more. And I think that's where a trainer who wants to stand out wants to capitalize. Uh, at this point, your client is willing to do something significant, um, but they don't know what is legit and what is not. You know, they might adopt an extreme diet or an extreme training plan or something that's just ineffectual but requires a lot of effort uh, without your guidance. Um, so that, that's part of it. It's just simply a lack of knowledge as far as what's going to be effective. And people's education level, experience with, with fitness, whether they were an athlete in their youth, uh, what kind of uh, effort is normal for them as far as what they've habituated to, and their initial exposures with fitness are all going to affect us. You know, I've seen a lot of trainers out there who in their first workout with the client, you know, make them, you know, throw up or get so sore the next day that they're like, oh, my God, I didn't know I was going to take this. I'm just not ready. So I think the way you approach your client is critical and that it comes in a graduated stepwise fashion um, while also giving them a realistic idea of what they're going to need to do. So I think some things to do initially when you first uh, talk to a client or helping them understand that if their goals are weight loss in some way, uh, we are going to need to create an energy deficit. There's no trick to the system. If their goals are strength or performance based, we are going to have to induce an overload. Uh, and if their goals are based on you know health and longevity, then it's going to be something they have to commit to long term. And then you have to use that frame of reference to figure out uh, what can then be done. Um, a lot of the times when you've already done that and the client is unable to adhere to a plan, uh, I think 
really the question of what should you do is to ask them what's going on, you know, and that, that should be a series of questions. I think you need to help them the disparity between their stated goals and their actions. Um, the, the more obvious you can make uh, that, 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 that gap in, in their actions between their stated goals or their intended goals, the more it, it, it opens up opportunities for them to ask themselves, you know, why am I doing what I'm doing and what are the barriers so that more specific interventions can be uh, implemented and you can be a resource to them to help them figure out creative solutions uh, to the things that are getting in the way between uh, their stated intentions and their actual actions. Wow, well said. Um, inc- uh, there's so much that I would love to unpack there. Uh, unfortunately, I want to go into what I call, though, the scratching the surface curiosity questions where I just, I, I've gathered these questions throughout the week because I heard that you were going to be on the show, and then I'm like, all right, this question was literally created for this person, and the mission is to just uh, make someone feel maybe a little less alone and also learn a little bit more about you by doing so. Cool. Awesome. Um, so the first question is a uh, what I, I I call it a sort of givings giving question, just because this is going to make someone feel a little less alone with uh, the way they may think of themselves. So, what's an embarrassing thought that you recently had about yourself, or maybe you had about someone else? Um, and you, you know, it's just a thought, and it doesn't mean much, but uh, it's certainly something that you're ashamed about having. Yeah, I would say probably I have a lot of, um, I guess, what would you call imposter syndrome, you know? Um, very frequently I will assess something or, or have an opinion or because or, I'm put in a position of authority, at least in my realm of specialty, fairly frequently. Um, so while I, I try to be confident and make sure I research, because sometimes I look up and I go, I got a PhD in quote unquote strength and conditioning. And, you know, like, honestly, I'm just really a glorified personal trainer. Like I have a, a PhD in like being a meathead, you know, like this is probably the equivalent of getting a bachelor's degree in a hard subject, you know? And, um, I kind of have to counter that self-talk because it's not really helpful. There's a difference between, uh, humility and then crippling yourself to the point where you are not useful to someone else, where you're taking away your own voice when otherwise you might have been able to help others. So I think that's that's something that happens frequently in my head that I have to have these back and forth conversations with for sure. Oh, wow. I, yeah, I see that uh, imposter syndrome with more and more people that you never would think that they would have it. I mean, it's uh it's incredible. It's it's it sucks too for those people too because um you know, like no matter it, it's it's almost like no matter what success you ever reach, it's never enough. You know, it's like it's it's never enough evidence. It still feels like an illusion. Um but anyways, uh another question I'd love to ask is is who do you think right now is is really doing a great job in the fitness space that is, uh, you know, maybe a mentor of yours as well? Mm, there's a few, but that's a great question. I am. You can name I'm a, a bitch. You can name a uh, few. Okay, cool. Thank you. I appreciate that, that freedom. Um, <laughs> there's a few people who I, who I have a lot of respect for. Um, Greg Knuckles is one of them. I've got the, the pleasure of partnering with him and Mike Zerdos on our monthly research review. Um, 
and he just has a natural love of data and, and, and he's just a very curious person. Um, you know, he's someone who enjoys like calculus and statistics, <laughs> uh, which, which is pretty rare. And he's always, he doesn't seem to have much egotistical attachment to his opinions, which I think is incredibly important. And when you combine that with also just having a keen intellect, you have someone who can really reliably give you good information and who will change their mind over time. Um, and, you know, unfortunately in the fitness industry, and it's probably like most, you typically will not get those two character traits at the same time. You'll have someone who's really, really smart, but also has a, a huge ego built around it. So, you know, over time, it seems almost uh, that there's like a ticking clock before, uh, you know, a, a fitness professional becomes unreliable to listen to because they've bought into their own BS, you know, um, that they've made a few theories here and here and there, and they've built so many, uh, you know, pet theories on top of one another that may not be based in great data. And each time they get lauded by their followers and build their ego more, they're, they're more unwilling, or it would be a greater cost to walk back their, their stated opinions that eventually they're just surrounded by a bunch of nonsense when they might've started off as, you know, quite a useful source of information. And I just don't ever seen that I don't think that's ever going to happen to Greg. You know, he's he's uh, academically interested. He's um, not egotistical, and he generally likes to help people, and is also just thinks that learning stuff is fun. So I think he, he's a he's someone who I I look to as as being objective. Uh, he, he's a good example there. Um, there are others, um, but man, I I think I'll just stick with Greg for now. So just to keep it simple. Yeah, great. Uh, his website's incredible. Uh, it's, it's filled with, with, uh, just so many gems. So yeah, check out Greg for sure. And, uh, he's, he's, he's a very, I love how like he, uh, he has this ability to like you, what you said, like, you know, not stick emotionally to the, to, to be possibly being wrong or potentially being wrong, but he's always, he's always very like, okay with, uh, with the way he looks all the time and I don't and I don't think there's very many personal trainers that are like that so I would I would argue that's definitely true he uh he's a big bear and he, he's cool with that and he should be because he's a beautiful bear he's a beautiful bear uh, <laughs> I'm just jealous I'm jealous of that um the next question I'd love to ask is uh what is uh someone right now in your life that is 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 constantly going against um, the grain of what it is to be uh, a a great 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 trainer, um, and you don't have to actually. You know what? I I, I don't want to call anybody out, but someone that that's that a couple of myths, I guess. Uh, that they're doing right now that is just completely untrue. And, and if you hear this, um, please don't go any closer because I just want to save a couple of listeners right now from buying into garbage, maybe with uh, online personal training or something like that. Or, or um, you know, you just if you hear some, this, this phrase, stay away from it. Man, I, I think it's more of like a... Uh a stance or a philosophy of the way someone acts. Um, if you find someone who has never admitted they're wrong over time, or if um, they are promising 
across the board solutions. You know, it's the equivalent of fitness snake oil. Like, um, like, like in, in the medical field, we all, we've known for a long time that pseudoscience and quacks, you know, if you think back to the, the classic 1800s guy selling you the, the cure-all elixir that will cure everything from a, a stubbed toe to the common cold, um, that exists in the fitness world and it's very strong. If someone gives you a one-size-fits-all nutrition information uh, or nutrition solution or training solution, if it's always due X to failure or if it's very gimmicky, like it's got to last 40 seconds and you've got to do 40 reps on 40 exercises and it's all built around some random number, um, or if it's you have to cut out an entire food group and that works for everyone for everything, um, be wary of that. Be wary of the, the guru. The guru is someone who creates a cult of personality. Um, and there's nothing wrong with someone having a good personality or being an authority figure, but if they, if they give no ground, if they never speculate, if they, they speak in absolutes, like if they're never using likely or probably or some of the times, but if they're saying that all the time, everyone, this works in all cases, um, or they're using a lot of exaggeration, you know, this is extremely effective, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and they never seem to be wrong about everything. They have an answer to everything. Uh, and they're promoting one size fits all. That's definitely someone you want to stay far away from. Oh man, thank you uh, for being such a good interviewer, uh, an interviewee. Because uh, I thank definitely, I, I was like, ah, oh, that, that question is is a hard one. Um, but that was <laughs> very, 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 very elegantly answered. And and I've just gotta, I gotta bring this up because I think most um, most companies aren't doing stuff like this. Three uh, DMJ has an awesome program right now where they're helping competitors or people that have recently been in really good shape get back into the, the maintenance mode where they're still in good shape but you know they got to start eating again and and um you know i might be one of them so this is a selfish question too is someone that's really uh they're very obsessed with being ripped and being at a certain level of body fat all the time that to to start eating more and and to start gaining some fat and gaining muscle on top of it is, is, is scary. Um, mm. So what is uh, a first step that they can do or take and to start, you know, like stop hanging around the, the, the cardio machines and stop hanging around the gym so much and actually getting out there uh, to eat more and, and, and what are, what are the uh, sort of natural uh, side effects of that? Uh, meaning like you know, what kind of accountability should they have when they go through this? Great question. And thanks for the, the bit of a plug there. Um, for the listeners, uh, what, what Logan's referring to is we have um, the 3DMJ Vault, which is essentially kind of like our online education platform for uh, the, the physique or strength interested either athlete or, or person. Uh, and we have a recent um, what we call a virtual seminar where we talked about how to transition from a contest prep period for a physique competitor, which necessitates getting very lean, um, to normal life. And that's by far the hardest part for most, uh, at least novice and beginning competitors and some long-time competitors, is that transition. Uh, in general, bodybuilders tend to be very good at gaining weight or losing weight, um, but the whole kind of normal habitual uh, habits are, are not well established. 
And it's not uncommon at all for bodybuilders to get uh, depressed post-competition uh, and to either do one of two things, which both are not ideal, is put on a whole bunch of body fat on back very quickly uh, and see all their hard work totally dissipate and then actually start out at a higher body fat percentage than when they even started the competition six or seven months ago. Or on the other end of the spectrum, um, going through this cyclical uh, process of trying to stay lean and not being able to adhere to it, overeating and hating themselves because they feel like they don't have any willpower to then redoing it and kind of bouncing around and staying in the semi-dieted state and highly psychologically stressed state for months. Um, so what we have is what we call the recovery diet, which just finally matches up the psychological reality uh, with the physiological reality and, and then spits out practical terms as far as what you should do. And uh, like I alluded to earlier, there, there's no reason and there's no benefit and there actually is harm being incredibly lean. And it's the very, 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 very rare person who can just walk around at, you know, say six or seven percent body fat as a male or, you know, 12, 11 percent body fat as a female and, and, and function physiologically normally and not be constantly focused on food. And that's no way to live. Um, so really the only way to uh, repair the process of, 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 of metabolic adaptation that happens uh, during, during a contest prep and to recover from that intense food focus and sometimes borderline eating disorders that occur during the course of a contest prep is to actually put body fat back on until you're at what we like to call the low end of your settling point range. So, you know, if you were competing at, say, 160 pounds, that's probably going to be somewhere between 5 to 10% up from there. So that might put you at anywhere from, you know, 168 to say, um, 170 in the high, high 170s, um, just depending on, on, on your individual genetics and your experience with this process. And that's still a very lean athletic look if you were truly at stage levels of, uh, of leanness. Um, and for the competitor, this is a little easier to manage because ideally, um, you're doing this for a purpose. You're not just someone who wants to look lean because that's what you want. It's for the competitive outcome. I always try to coach my athletes to look at achieving that stage condition look as the same as a baseball player would look at hitting a 90 mile, mile per hour fast, fastball. It is an athletic feat that requires years of training and hard work and has risks associated with it. You know, you if you're throwing that 90 mile per hour fastball, chances are at some point you're going to have some shoulder issues. And if you are getting to 4% body fat on stage, chances are you're not you're you're going to have some struggles with your your body and your your food relationships. Um, it kind of comes with the territory, and it gets better over time, obviously. Um, but it can be exacerbated if you're trying to do things that are inappropriate, like maintaining peak condition year-round or close to it. Um, so just, just know that there, there's, there's no reason to be that lean. Uh, and for the people out there who are not competitors, who are trying to stay really, really lean uh, to a point where it is having a negative effect on, say, your libido, your energy levels, uh, your ability to make performance gains in the gym, uh, your general focus in life, if it's primarily around food. Um, and uh, I think that's a, a probably something where you really need to look more internally and ask yourself, uh, do I have value besides my appearance? Um, do I have things to contribute to this world beyond simply having a shredded physique? And am I desirable to other people beyond that? And if the answer isn't an obvious yes, then I think that's a time point where you probably want to get help 
because I think everyone in this world has something to contribute beyond uh, the, the aesthetic appearance of their body. And there are things they can be doing um, that, that can make them happy and can, you know, help them foster valuable relationships that are not related to the, the, the appearance of their body. Uh, and that, and that should, should be definitely, they should follow that thread all the way back and um, do some serious work with, with a mental health professional, in my opinion, if they're in, in a state of being constantly struggling with their body image and food image. And I think, I really hope that people can have a, a more modern perspective with, with therapy and, and, and doing uh, counseling. Like, you know, we're all very comfortable going to see a physical therapist or a doctor for an injury or, or a disorder or something like that. But um, then there's no stigma associated with that. But it's, it's not, we're not quite there yet with the mental side of things. And I personally have been in therapy myself, and it's probably one of the better things I've done in my life. And I would encourage anyone who is struggling and in pain, regardless of whether that's a mental or physical problem, to, to seriously consider that if they're finding themselves trapped in a behavior pattern uh, that makes them unhappy and unable to get out of it. Wow. Uh, it's, Eric, I thank you so much for pointing that out. Like, I really wanted to. Uh, second that that I mean and there's even there's even online therapy nowadays if you're really uncomfortable mm-hmm. which is I know Talkspace maybe I should get them as a sponsor or something because I talk about them all the time but um, it's amazing I mean literally you can get health professionals for like $25 an hour um, and and I want to just uh, kind of elongate off of yeah, I guess at the end of the day, if you can't answer that question of if people only love me for my body, I know for a fact that I had a suicide attempt because of that, that that people can only love me for my looks, and when that's just not true. And luckily I've had a, lot, a guest on Shannon Howard, and, and she said it best. I think she said, you know, uh, did anybody care if Mother Teresa had abs or not? <laughs> no, like they didn't. Did anybody care how sculpted Gandhi was? You know, no. Like people care about what you what you do while you're here and what you say and and the way you treat them. And and, and let's face it, bodybuilding can be such a selfish uh, selfish career. And when you take it off and you start putting your 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 uh your knowledge and you start using it for the betterment of others instead of just yourself um that can i think alleviate too a lot of this uh sort of like pressure for you to be in a certain state physically yeah i totally agree you know bodybuilding is something uh if you look at its historical roots that came from um ideals in society you know all the way back to the grecian ideal and the idea was that the physical body was a reflection and they were almost intrinsically related. They weren't seen as separate uh, as of what is going on philosophically, mentally, etc. And not that, you know, the most attractive person was also the best person, but more so that on a case-by-case basis, um, your physical should reflect your mental and that they are both two sides of the same coin, you know, that, that uh, striving to achieve physical health and and a uh, physical ideal should go hand in hand with doing so mentally and emotionally uh, and it's just i think two forms of showing self-respect and self-love and just striving to be the best you can be um and i think you know if we apply that in the modern world and we consider you know the 
some of the, the ways we think in, in modern times that, that should be individually decided. You know, what do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do with your body? And can you have that holistic growth that encapsulates both the, uh, the physiological and psychological side of health? So I think anyone who approaches bodybuilding in such a way that it degrades their mental health, I don't think that's true bodybuilding. And I think, um, I think they should reevaluate their approach because it could be something that can uh, lead to not only a long career, an enjoyable career in the sport versus a short, maybe even successful, but still painful career in the sport, but also just a better life. And that's kind of what we're all about at 3D Muscle Journey. Yes, you guys are. I have to amend that. Absolutely. Uh, gosh, thank you so much, Eric. I, I, I wish we could talk for like three more hours. I just want to ask like three more questions. And, Absolutely. Uh, they're just 30 seconds or less sort of you're the man thank you for agreeing to that um 30 seconds or less sort of sort of answers uh the first question is uh is what's a mantra or quote that you love love to remind yourself and live by i tell myself uh your life is your fault um and i don't mean that in a blame sort of sense and i also know that that's factually not true like obviously um, some of my success comes from the fact that I was born into a first world nation and I wasn't born in abject poverty. Um, and that, you know, there's a lot of freedoms available to me that aren't available to other people and a lot more doors that are more easily opened, et cetera. But, um, I still live by that philosophy, even though it's objectively false, um, because it keeps agency in my hands. It, it reminds me that, um, while many things happen in life, it's much more important about what actions do I take in response to that uh, that's going to dictate my happiness and my success. Uh, and it gets me away from um, the largely useless and even potentially harmful habit of looking to ex blame things in my life on external factors that I don't have control over. That's a, a short-term solve to feeling uh, you know, to the pain of, of rejection or failure, uh, but it is a long-term death sentence to, to, to being able to do anything about it because you're putting agency uh, outside of your own hands into the, the outside world that you can't control. Wow, that's a, uh, gosh, uh, I've never had it, a person or a guest or anybody ever answer that question like that. So um, I'm taking notes, man. That was, that was awesome. <laughs> Thanks, bro. Uh, the next question is, um, what's the craziest thing you've ever seen in the client like for example you know i've heard you guys talk about on the show you know how you've had people doing less cardio and just lifting heavy weights after shows and and they're actually gaining muscle and losing fat um what's it what's a, a crazy outcome just and and just know anybody that's listening to this this is not typical results but what's something that you've seen that was just like wow it just really wowed you We've had uh, this, this is a little bit outside of the like the the results they got, but more just something that you know you think you've seen it all and you see something. Uh, we've had I want to say two clients among the all of us coaches over the wow almost ten years now since we've been doing this since two thousand nine, who have actually struggled with sleep eating. So they'll sleepwalk and they'll consume food at a certain point in the diet, and so they'll they'll wake up in bed with like a jar of peanut butter or, or like a cereal on, in their hands. Or, or sometimes we even had a client who would actually put the food back 
and clean up, but would only know um, based on when he would check the cupboard the next day, he or she would check the cupboard. I'm going to de-identify this person. Uh, how much food was missing or not? And that's man, like, what do you do about that? That 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 definitely threw threw us for a loop, and um, it's it's just pretty pretty crazy to see what 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 can happen out there when you stress the body, you know? Yeah, <laughs> that is crazy. That is nuts. Yeah. Oh, you know, shout out to John Nelson, uh, the father of myself. Uh, he he does that, actually. He used to sleep and eat. Um, it was crazy. He would just be sleeping, clearly sleeping, eyes closed, and open up pretzels and just start munching. And uh, and it just goes to show you, though, how like important it is, though, for our conscious brain to be trained correctly so mm. when we uh, you know tap while you're sleeping to be thinking about food constantly and consciously and and it, like you guys so eloquently do is change someone's focus and when they change their focus during the conscious thoughts when they have those subconscious thoughts it's not going oh i need food i'm i'm in you know i'm in uh I, i'm in scarcity mode oh god i need food rather no i'm i'm fine i'm i'm well uh well nourished for the day and and so that is crazy though wow that's nuts yeah, you can imagine that would make bodybuilding a little harder <laughs> yeah yeah um so the last uh last question is um eric anybody that's listening to this uh how can they support you and and you know we we know exactly how to get a hold of you and whatnot but what's another way someone could really support you and and maybe uh, something that is not even contributed at all to fitness and health, but something that uh, you really care about? That's a great question. I think, honestly, just every day asking yourself whether or not you're making a positive contribution to the world, if you're just adding a little bit of, of goodness against the chaos and, and the entropy that's going to happen regardless, uh, or whether you're, you know, you're acting out of a place of pain and kind of putting that out to the world, like from something, something as simple as, you know, are you tailgating in traffic or are you, you know, cursing at people when they, when they get in your way or they just act like people, or are you trying to take the high road more often than not? Cause I mean, all that little stuff adds up. Like you cut somebody off, they get pissed, they do the same thing. And then you just have like 40 people have a bad day. And I, I do think that those little actions make a difference. So um, just trying to be a little more mindful of how you interact with other people in, in, in a day-to-day basis in the world is, hell, man. If, if, if even just today you hear this podcast and you actually do that, that's a little better than if it, even if you don't even do it after that. So just one day of, of, of being nice I think would be awesome and I'd appreciate it. Gosh, I'm giving uh, Eric a huge virtual hug, bro hug right now because that just, <laughs> that just uh, lifted my heart. Like absolutely um, – Wow, uh, that's huge, and and I'm so happy that we're ending it with that last thought. Is just how can you do those little micro things, those tiny habits that uh, lead to big changes in your life? And um, it, it, I mean, it totally makes sense. Whenever I I listen to somebody that's in the fitness world that's making sense of something, like it, not just. Uh, not just numbers wise, but they're making sense psycho- psychologically wise. I'm like, oh, do they know Eric at all? And then I look and I go, oh, wow, yeah, they're part of uh, 
the three DMJ uh, tribe and 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 following <laughs> them. So, um, yeah, and I know you're you're very much part of that. So, Eric, thanks again, man. Maybe uh, you know down the road, uh, I would love to invite you back on and and maybe uh, see where where you are in a you know a couple of months and whatnot. Absolutely, It'd be an honor. Thanks for having me on. Oh yeah, thank you.